Thank you for downloading and or streaming the newest episode of Recasted 2.0. I'm Wayne G, joined as always by Jesse. What's up? What's up, Wayne? And I'm, I'm actually wondering, did you almost forget how to do that intro? It's been a, definitely a hot minute since we've uh, been in the recording studio. It's been a few. We've been taking a few weeks off here and there, which I don't mind. It gives me time to edit. I don't feel super rushed. And then gives the fans time to consume as well. Absolutely. And the homework assignment you provided me this juncture here was definitely the, the largest one so far, having to watch three movies I'd never seen before, which may shock you and many of our fans once we get to the titles of those movies. But yeah, for sure. It's been a long time, but I uh, missed all of our listeners and our fans. Definitely appreciate the continued listenership that we get. It makes it really fun to continue to come back and do this with you, Wayne. Yes, indeed. If you're new to the show, we take movies that are at least 20 years old and we recast them modern day 2022. Now that we're in 2022 with modern actors and actresses, kind of like a reboot. Like, hey, if they rebooted this movie, you know, what would we think or who would we pick to be in it? I know we've all kind of had those thoughts. Today's is weird because we're actually doing a trilogy at once, but we're implementing a time element to the aging process, which is a whole new thing. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, a time hop. You know, MCU does it. Why can't we do it? Except with a time hop, I feel like people stay the same age jumping forward. We're actually going to be aging these people. Yeah, I mean, I think people age much differently now than they used to. I mean, looking at what 60-year-old actors used to look like on uh, either end of the spectrum and uh, back then and now looking at them now, um, they definitely don't age um, like they used to. Um, more like fine wine now. Oh, for sure. Even like I watch like NBA stuff. You watch 1980s NBA highlights and guys who were 22 look like they were 42 oh yeah it looked real bad um you know some guys i mean chris Kamen um was not a good looking rookie at all um and we got some guys coming up now that uh they're 17 or 18 and they're looking really well polished and put together or in lebron's case he's 37 right he still looks like he's 25 yeah still still running around like he's a young man making people look silly on the court but that's about as much praise as i'm willing to give him <laughs> Before we get into the recasting, we do have some house cleaning type things. Obviously, follow us on social media. You can follow us on Instagram at recastedpodcast8. However, I'll be honest with you, I haven't checked that in several months. We could have a ton of letters for all I know. That's where everybody's trying to get a hold of us, Wayne, you dink. <laughs> I just totally abandoned the Instagram thing and focused on Twitter, which, by the way, if you want to follow us on Twitter at recasted podcast that's where we do a lot of the voting that's where you can get the shout outs we also are at recasted podcast on facebook with the group all things movies which we encourage everybody to join and post questions movies tv stuff it's full of pop culture definitely and you know beyond 130 group members there now i know that you said we had a milestone in regards to our listeners and downloads now so um, we're continuing to find goals to crush and put in front of us so very happy with our growth I know some of the questions that get asked in the group. Mark from When Harry Met Movies today asked, what is the most memorable movie line of all time? Which I took to mean, what is the most famous? And I went with, may the force be with you. Oh, I mean, that's definitely super recognizable. I didn't honestly see that post yet. Maybe I was in La La Land elsewhere or just being lazy here at home. But I'll have to get on there and really kind of get my mind thinking. Because there's a lot of ones that kind of jump right out. But... I'd have to side with you initially, Wayne. I mean, thinking of Star Wars 1 and, and how everybody around the world can definitely think of that, that phrase, no matter what language it, it may be delivered to them in, and it's super iconic. And it's kind of Muslim when I think about it, because they say, peace be with you. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, you know, I'm thinking of Star Trek here, and I'm doing the uh, live long and prosper hand thing, certainly not as catchy as may the force be with you. So uh, I think you hit a winner right there early on. 
Yeah, definitely Star Trek is the white trash of the <laughs> sci-fi world. Oh, don't let the Trekkies hear that. <laughs> hey, don't call them that. They don't oh, like it. Oh, I, I said it. Make sure you bleep that out in post. <laughs> uh, obviously, if you're listening to us, you probably found a spot that you like listening to the podcast. We prefer when people listen on Good Pods because you can give a rating for every individual episode. You can give us five stars, four stars. Maybe you like one and you don't like the other. It's interactive. You can leave comments for every single episode. You can interact. We actually have a group, believe it or not, on Good Pods, a group for Recasted where people can join. A few people have... I don't 100% know how it works yet, so I haven't been super interactive in there. Hey, we're still getting our toes wet in Good Pods, but we know that what we do like about Good Pods, there's so many aspects of it, being able to keep along with individual episodes and comment and like and really have that community feel on every single episode, no matter which show we may be listening to at that point. And I know that we have a very uh, close bond with a lot of shows, and so we definitely continue to lift each other up and give each other whether it be some criticism or some fun uh, comments you know left on good pods but definitely my favorite platform to continue to listen to you know my favorite shows on and uh you know if it's any other platform you listen on you know great just you know continue to give us whatever thumbs up heart like or comment whatever kind of positive feedback you can provide us or even constructive feedback let us know um that way we can continue to grow um i know that that's what Wayne and I love to do is continue to put out awesome stuff. Yeah, we did drop to number four on the after shows chart. However, I saw today we were back up to number two. So it fluctuates. You know, you got to get on there and vote for us every day. Hey, staying in the top five uh, is pretty remarkable when you consider it's definitely been uh, a couple of weeks since we put anything out. So when we drop out this, uh, this mega episode here that we're going to cover, uh, I think we're going to be able to climb back up to one and hold on to it like, like cliffhanger. Another great achievement, you'd mentioned it, we did exceed finally 1,000 downloads. We had 63 for our most recent episode, which was Ocean's Eleven. We have over 100 for Die Hard, so we crossed the 1,000 plateau. I think next step, or next milestone is 5,000. Oh, correct. And I think if we can average 70-plus downloads you know, per episode, uh, that will continue to you know, make our dreams come true early on. Uh, and Die Hard being that most listened to episode so far, is that true, Wayne? Die Hard is it's over a hundred listens or a hundred downloads. I don't know if they count streaming or not, but I know that, like I said, the most recent one was sixty three. That was Ocean's Eleven. Uh, what a gift that is! Even though we don't consider that a Christmas movie, that's a gift for that to be downloaded that many times. We really appreciate it. I know that I enjoyed being a part of that episode, and I know the fans really enjoyed uh, voting on that iconic movie, no matter what side of the the holiday fence they may sit on. Speaking of Ocean's Eleven. We have a vote that came in, and Jesse won the vote 43 to 36. And what's weird is I, I knew I was going to lose some votes for Kevin Hart. I even called it when we recorded. What surprised me is how many votes Jesse gained for Christopher Walken, because I really didn't like that pick, but a lot of people did. Now, listen here, Wayne. I, I can't even try and do it. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's got such an iconic, you know, uh, you know, delivery. Um, but, yeah, you know, that that click delivery, the Joe Dirt delivery. I mean, I, I love Christopher Walken, and I think he'd have been awesome here. The win was amazing, but what was more amazing was the amount of votes that we get. I, I think that so far to date, that's probably the most votes that we've gotten for any one of our episodes uh, that puts us over 60 votes. So uh, very happy with uh, the amount of support we've gotten and continue to get. So thank you to everybody. And hopefully uh, every one of our episodes can be as contentious as that. We don't need any landslides. Um, you know, we want to be as competitive as that Chiefs-Bills game was this past weekend. So 
Uh, very happy to have the win, but more happy to have as many votes as we've gotten. Yeah, the trick to the walk-in impersonation is it spikes quickly and kind of goes into a whisper almost immediately. So if he was announcing the score, he might say, Jesse wins 43 to 36. It's amazing. Uh, any dirt that I spoke previously about your inability to do accents or personations, I got to wipe that dirt away. That was <laughs> that was impeccable, Wayne. I, I, you boys that feel the screens, you better listen to that. I know that's not a British guy, but just to give you a taste of what he can provide, Wayne just gave <laughs> us a spot-on walking. <laughs> uh, my mom used to ask me to do it all the time when I would go down to Connecticut. And you know what's funny is it's one of those things like little. I'm a little kid, and you know when you get asked to do it, you don't want to do it. And... So my wife constantly brings up, she's like, you know, that's all your mom wanted you to do before she died. <laughs> and, and now you have like no problem doing it. You're just dropping on episodes. Yeah, everybody gets to hear, everyone gets to hear it for free now. <laughs> <laughs> Mom's just shaking her fist up there. You see, <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> um, all right. So <clears throat> obviously we always say thank you to our Facebook friends and family, all things movies, people who go on there and vote. We don't give shout outs to those people. So if you want the shout out, you got to go on Twitter. That's where we're looking for the followers. Get on there, vote on Twitter, and we will give you a shout out, which we will do in just a moment. Yeah, my mom mentioned that. She's like, damn you, Wayne. You're going to make me download this Twitter thing, aren't you? I'm going to have to twit. And I was like, mom, it's tweet. And yeah, you're just going to have to vote. Now, we normally do, we break it up into two types of shout outs. One is the thank you for voting, and then the other is the special thank you. And these are podcasts that interact with us on a regular basis. So. Normally, or what we've been doing the past couple weeks is everyone who voted, we've been saying thank you to that podcast and kind of giving a little background on who they are, who their most recent episode was. But Jesse, we had 60, no, I'm sorry, we had 79 votes. So I'm, I'm not going to be able to really go into every single person's most recent episode. So only the people who are in our special thanks get the, uh, the super shout outs. Yeah, you know, give us those continued votes and continue to grow closer to us and our close knit you know, movie, cinematic, Twitter family, and we'll certainly be able to give you more love. I mean, every vote, we'd love to be able to listen to all those shows, but I mean, I don't know if we can listen as fast as Wayne finishes TV shows, guys. So, you know, just stay supportive, and we'll certainly find more time to give you moments to shine. I know Wayne, in, in a lot of shows, likes to give new shows kind of a VIP uh, opportunity. So whether we have that this episode or not, you know, continue to support us and be active on those social media accounts whether it be good pods or twitter and we would certainly love to give you uh some moments uh in future episodes to definitely shine a light on on your episodes and your podcast in general uh but yeah our vip section is going to get very bright today so here we go special thanks buckle your seatbelt. i'm going to run through these before we get into our special thanks these are your regular thanks these are everyone who voted thank you so much for voting the Film Shake 90s Movies Podcast, the Rocky and Creed Series Podcast, Defending Your Movies Podcast, Tony Heald Featured Presentation Productions, The VHS Files, The 80s Movies Podcast, Mass Debaters, MCU and Me Podcast, I Finally Watched Podcast, The Movie Chef Podcast, The FJ Podcast, Beefy Boys Podcast, Jason at Nerd Rovert, A Book Nerd and the Bible Podcast, Cheap Seat Reviews, Geeksploration, the podcast, Stew World Order, Total Recast, Movies in Focus, Cinema Deacon podcast, Drunk Theory, Take Two podcast, Real Talk, a movie podcast, Trayvon Surgeon, that's at Trey Surge, Great Pop Culture Debate, So Wizard podcast, Casting Views, Doom Generation podcast, The Film Buds podcast, Film Rage, Three Films in a podcast. I'm actually going to stop right here. 
three films in a podcast is their most recent episode is Beaches, and they're actually collaborating with us to do, I believe it's going to be Batman and Robin, the one with Mr. Freeze. Is that Batman Forever or Batman Robin? That's Batman and Robin, and uh, I, I love that that one. Um, I believe that also has Poison Ivy, um, the uh, Uma Thurman. Yep. Yeah, so that, that's a very fun one. I don't think people enjoy it as much as I do, but you know, being an Arnie fan, I definitely enjoy that version. So we'll keep you posted on that. They do want to collaborate with us recasting that film. That's going to be for their show. Um, but obviously, you know, we want to help them out and support them when not only when we do their show, but obviously previous shows. And like I said, their most recent episode was Beaches. So break out the tissues. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we uh, we don't don't get me started. <laughs> uh, continuing with some of these votes, modern escapism. It takes two at C Melody the fan at every rom com at JLM writes the afternoon tune Pete at middle class film class throne media group no more late fees Marty McFly at movies one three one movies on the way reel of thieves Mashley at the movies the MN movie man bad poet society bad dad's film review straight to DVD walk the cinema underground media talking shiz super retro throwback cast files x radio x unequal sequel uncredited extras third eye movie review deluxe edition and your next favorite movie thank you all for voting this past episode absolutely uh again thank you for the continued support as well as the uh the long water break that you just provided me while wayne was going on the special movie shout out sections which everyone has the opportunity to get into just kind of interact with us you know dm us and we will give you guys a little bit more of a shout out than just a name call but our special movies i always i started this one here with movie wars their most or the newest one that's coming out i think is hateful eight versus true grit or maybe it already came out i listened to the rambo versus commando one yeah uh, that's the last one that i listened to wayne and the uh, the newest one did drop. I have yet to actually fully listen to it, so I don't want to comment on it. But absolutely enjoy all these episodes. You turned me on to these guys early on, and they take two very similar movies, and they go head-to-head in very fun categories. Uh, these guys are very fun. Kyle's interactive on our All Things Movies page. Uh, Kyle, Drew, and Phil have great chemistry on the show, and... It was great to hear them talk about Sly versus Arnie, them being huge Arnie fans. What did you think of that episode? I really enjoyed it. I enjoy all their episodes. Ever since I started listening, I've been listening since episode one, which I think might have been what RoboCop versus Terminator or something like that. So sorry with Arnie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or maybe it wasn't. I can't remember. But I know that uh, anything with RoboCop, I'm I'm all in. I love RoboCop. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I definitely you know remember the suit. It's pretty iconic. Um, and uh, all their episodes have been such a pleasure to listen to. Really enjoyed uh, them supporting us and our continued bond with them. The Quantum Recast, these are like our cousins. What they do is they take a movie, they uproot it out of its release year, they put it into a new year, and they recast it in that year with the caveat that anybody they put into a role loses all of their acting credits for that year. So if you don't know what that means, basically, let's say 1989... No, let's say 1995, because I think that's when A Few Good Men came out. So 1995, they, they put a new movie there. If you cast Tom Cruise in it, he doesn't do A Few Good Men. Correct, yeah. You know, they definitely have tighter rules. They have uh, a fun box that they play in. And their most recent episode was Con Air, a very fun one with Malkovich and Nicolas Cage, uh, Danny Trejo, 
um, and many more. So it was a great episode. Um, I didn't love who they ended up uh, having play Nick Cage, um, but I think overall it was a very fun episode, and I think anybody that loves our concept of recasted would really enjoy these guys where they totally supplant a movie out of one year and plop it into another. They have a very tough task ahead of them with Casablanca, pulling it out of their original year and putting it in the 90s. So definitely not a movie I've seen before, but it's an iconic one for sure. Absolutely. If you like track and field and you like the 100-meter dash, that's what we are. These guys are the 100-meter hurdles. So you're going to see fast with some caveats. We don't have any caveats. We make it easy on ourselves. Correct. Yeah, but these guys are always a fun listen. So continue to support them if you do. And if you haven't heard of them, give them a listen. Our best friends across the pond, that is the Field of Screens, D. Kift and James Rowling. Now, these guys actually, they just dropped a retrospective episode, which is where they kind of read fan mail. They give shout outs to people who answered questions for them on Twitter. So get interactive with them on Twitter as well. I just want to say Merry Christmas, guys, and you're welcome for the Christmas present. Yeah, Wayne sent over some awesome T-shirts because he knows uh, these guys' uh, love and uh, infatuation with a certain show. So uh, hopefully um, they've received that and they can go ahead and uh, let Wayne know uh, how they fit. Um, maybe they haven't put on too much COVID weight and they'll be good fits for them. Uh, but definitely guys that I enjoy listening to. Um, I tried listening to their Santa with Muscles episode, Wayne. I got about four minutes in and it just... As much as I love these guys' banter back and forth, it just it wasn't anything I could listen to. They actually played the trailer, and, you know, Hulk Hogan, I, I enjoyed him in the ring, but not a good actor at all. No, it, I had no desire to really listen to that episode, and, and like I said, we support these guys. We love these guys. They're our brothers from another mother, or from a British mother, I guess, and yeah, I just only listen when it's a, a movie that I really – either have seen or I enjoy like if they did a, they, sometimes they do a lot of soccer movies that I haven't seen like they came out only in England and I haven't seen it I don't listen to those either yeah but some of theirs have really you know given me the uh, inspiration to watch some of them like the one that they did that had Steve Carell and uh, Emma Stone I mean that was one that I hadn't even heard of and then they had an entire episode on it and I went ahead and watched it and enjoyed it so uh, you know they definitely try and touch on as many different sports as they can while still being relevant and, and, and fun. And they do a great job of providing fun every episode. Yeah, I sent them some DVDs just to give them some ideas on some future episodes. I'm not going to say which ones I sent, but one of them is my all-time favorite movie, so looking forward to that one. Yeah, hopefully these movies that you sent were not extra win. Um, and uh, looking forward to whatever they put out next. Shoot the Flick is another one of our friends. They just did a Mortal Kombat episode. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I'm looking forward to it because Frankie and Scott, I think, are hilarious together. Yes, uh, I did, I've listened to their video game-themed episodes, which started out with Resident Evil and then went on to Mortal Kombat, and I listened to that one because that's probably, you know, I, I watched the more recent one, and it was very gory, um, kind of, you know, nearing, like, the Kill Bill level of, like, blood squirting and... Uh, crazy amount of kills, a lot of awesome fatalities, but that 1995 version, which is the one that they kind of chronicled and went over, um, was pretty iconic. The song, it still gets me pumped right now, and um, I remember a lot of the performances, so um, they definitely have fun as they get into their episodes, um, and they they like peeling back the curtain to each other when it comes to certain things that they had never seen before, so from video game stuff, which is definitely Scott's uh, love. Um, he's got a very early uh, love for video games to some of Frankie's uh, definitely uh, her favorites um, which 
um, are odd, um, but she provides so much passion um, that every episode is a joy to listen to. So we enjoy any time we get to hear an episode from them, as well as get a very detailed vote from them. I love when I see that Scott says, I wanted to make sure I listened to every minute before I voted, um, and they both almost always vote the other way. So it's, it's great to see that from them. Yeah, I was just going to say they split their vote this week, and so instead of getting one vote from their show, they got two votes, which nullified each other. Yeah, they usually don't vote the same page unless it has me casting Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> I think everybody voted the same way on that one. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. <laughs> Best film ever podcast. Love these guys. They haven't done an episode I was really interested recently. They've been touching on a lot of smaller movies or movies I haven't seen, so I haven't had a chance to tune in. I'm waiting for these guys to, to do something. Do RoboCop, guys. I'll listen to that. Yeah, Wayne uh, likes to you know judge books by covers. Um, so even with his, some of his favorite guys here, I know that he's got an early love for these guys. Um, you know, unless you're going to give him a movie title or uh, an image on Twitter that's going to really catch his eye, he's probably going to keep on scrolling. Especially with how his library is growing, with uh, whether it be old favorites or new shows that he's listening to. But uh, definitely still a show that we're both going to keep our eyes on and make sure that we listen to whenever they bring us something that piques our interest. Their newest episode is Who Do You Think You Are? I haven't seen it, so I didn't listen. I don't even really know what it's about, to be honest with you. Uh, correct. And there was a uh, something about a Mr. Fox. Oh, the fantastic Mr. Fox. I'm familiar with that, but I'm, I've never seen it. But I know it's like one of those animated, like claymation type movies. I have not seen it either, but I know that was a fan vote. So very awesome that they're taking, you know, fan votes and fan submissions for stuff like that. You know, we, we love to see interactive podcasts. When Harry Met Movies, these guys are great. This is Mark and his son, Harry. They say when Harry met movies because they are watching some of Mark's favorite childhood or teenage movies, and Harry's getting to see them for the first time, and they're just kind of comparing notes and talking about the film together. Yeah, very awesome concept. We've continued to campaign for these guys because of their unique perspective, and I hope that anybody who has enjoyed these guys, continues to support them, and anybody who hasn't listened to them yet, give them a try. You know, they're very fun, and, you know, they, I think it was Never Ending Story was a recent one that they did, and that was uh, a very fun one, and uh, they definitely have fun with all their episodes. They touch on a lot of genres. They hit, I think, five-plus movies during the holiday season there of a bunch of different ones, so if you're feeling like setting yourself back in the mood, you can go ahead and check out some of their recent catalog. Yeah, the newest one, I think, is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I haven't listened to that one yet, but I did listen to The NeverEnding Story since that's a movie that I watched over a hundred times in a year, I think, when I was little. We had it on VHS, and I ran the tape out of it. But I will say this is that, you know, the first movie I really remember crying at as a little kid was E.T., you know, when E.T. goes home. Right. But the scene with Artex in the Swamp of Sadness, man, that was a killer, too. The Swamp of Sadness. That was Wayne's living room after he watched that movie. <laughs> I was sinking. <laughs> We've got Steve Doyle. Films are the juice. Steve was very gracious uh, a couple of episodes ago to really give us a shout out. And he, like us, he really champions other podcasts. His newest episode, I believe, is No Country for Old Men versus There Will Be Blood, which those two movies I really see compared a lot, even though they're two like completely different films. Right, and, and I haven't seen either of them, to be honest, Wayne. You know, i, I got to be less of a fan than you at most times here, but No Country uh, for Old Men is one that I'm dying to see because of the performances. Um, and honestly, I hadn't even heard of the other one you mentioned. Yeah, so No Country for Old Men, obviously Javier Bardem, 
his performance is top five I've ever seen. It, it's incredible. He absolutely deserved Best Supporting Actor, which he got for that. There Will Be Blood is about discovering oil, and it stars Daniel Day-Lewis. So you have to kind of be a Daniel Day-Lewis fan to watch it. Now, I know he's an amazing actor, but basically, if you want to watch three and a half to four hours of exposition, that's every Daniel Day-Lewis movie. Okay, yeah. Not sure if that will be one that uh, I'm itching to see, but uh, again, I think uh, No Country for Old Men is a must-see for me right up there on the uh, the high bucket list with uh, Inglorious Bastards. Those two are I need to see. And the newest member of our special shout-outs, they had reached out to us because I had posted on Twitter our podcast universe, and they messaged me and they said, how do we get in this? And so I started interacting with these guys, DMing them. We're already working on a collaboration, and that is Sequel Pitch. So Sequel Pitch, basically what they do is, obviously, just like it says in the title, they take a movie that doesn't have a sequel, and they pitch script ideas for a sequel, and then they pick the best one. And it's super entertaining. The first one I listened to was Con Air. Then I listened to Step Brothers. Their newest one is Joker. Oh, wow. I've yet to listen to an episode of theirs, but all those sound incredibly intriguing. So I'll have to listen to them, especially if they're going to go ahead and cuddle up next to us in the universe. I'll have to get myself listening to a lot of these episodes. Now, I do believe that every time I listen to an episode, I give them my idea for a sequel. I give them my sequel pitch, which is maybe how we got involved in this whole collaboration. The newest one, like I said, is Joker. I believe all three of them had Joker 2 as the title because they give a title, then like a a synopsis, and then they give you like a a storyboard. And I was like, Joker 2? My Joker sequel didn't have the word Joker in it. It's called City on Fire. And sometimes, you know, if you don't have the character jump right out at you at the the title, you know, it could be really sneaky good. I think that could be an intriguing story depending on where you take it. I know that you've had your hands, you know, mixed in with a few different scripts, whether it be reading them or, you know, taking part in writing them. Uh, So your brain's definitely been involved in some script writing. So I'd be curious as to where that Joker one would take you. Yeah, we'll see if they bring it up on the air. They said they're going to announce it on their next episode, but I know one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted to not turn it into a Batman story and and almost kind of keep it away from the DC universe in a sense. So my pitch really for Joker, if we're going to do a sequel to it, has to continue to touch on mental illness. And my pitch was basically that, you know, Arthur Fleck is not Joker from the comic books. But he inspires the Joker. So while he's in Arkham Asylum, he comes into contact with an ex-Afghanistan army ranger who is completely crazy, violent, killed a bunch of people. He inspires him to kind of take up the throne as Joker. He actually kills Arthur Fleck while they're in Arkham Asylum and then escapes and goes to war with the entire city, killing mob bosses, killing cops, killing everybody, which is why it's called City on Fire. And then his ultimate plan is to release all of the inmates from Arkham prison. Wow. That definitely seems intriguing. Yeah, I'd, I'll I'd give that a listen, a watch, and a read. <laughs> so I also I sent them my Con Air one. So Step Brothers is the only one I didn't think you wouldn't like. I think one of the I'm not going to spoil. You'll have to listen. But Step Brothers they had a really funny one. I thought, but based on who they wanted to cast in it, I don't think you would love it. Oh, okay. So they cast people in all of their sequels? No, sometimes they do. I mean, for the most part, it's just a title and then a storyboard. And they might ask, like, who would you cast in those roles? And they'll talk about it or they'll say, we don't know. Like I said, we are working on a collaboration with them. So the collaboration we're working on is we do know that Marvel has bought Fox properties. So we are going to get a Marvel Universe X-Men at some point. So I was talking with these guys, and I'm going to compete with them on an original X-Men script for the MCU. 
and then whatever script wins, we're going to collaborate when with when Harry Met Movies on a cast. Awesome! I can't wait to check that out. I'm really looking forward to it. I love Marvel and X Men is definitely a huge contingent of what the Marvel Comics you know stands for. All those characters. So looking forward to that for sure. Now, before we get into the recasting of our movie, did you have any other things you wanted to touch on? I just want to, you know, let you know, uh, you know, I'm I'm slowly creeping up on uh, Dexter, so I'm in season three now. I'm enjoying that show, um, even though there are some characters that I don't love, um, but definitely enjoy the character of Dexter himself. Um, and just uh, today watched the newest Suicide Squad, so I think that it is worlds better than the original one that came out years ago. I think that's aided by the uh, James Gunn being director. Um, but this one was John Cena, Idris Elba, uh, Margot Robbie again. Um, really, really good compared to the last one. And I think one of the better movies I've seen this year, and one of the better DC properties that I've seen in, in the last decade for sure. So if you haven't seen the new Suicide Squad, being an Elba fan, I definitely recommend it, Wayne. All right. I might have to get to that one. I just watched The Eternals, and my review of it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be, which I saw on Twitter. Somebody commented, that's high praise. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned it because I did myself watch it. You know, I I'd let reviews um, that I saw online scare me away from going to the theaters and see it, um, and uh, I watched it on Disney Plus when it came out. And, uh, you know, I think some of the things that I saw online, people saying it was a lot of characters, it was very long. Um, I can see some of their, their complaints. I see some of their points. But for the most part, I thought it was a really good film. I think it touched on uh, uh, some huge things. It answered a lot of questions. And, you know, with some of the star power they had in it, I think they really provided some awesome performances. Honestly, Wayne, one of the better Angelina Jolie performances I've seen in her from her in a while. And I think overall it was a, it was a pretty good movie. I'd put it middle of the pack. And when you consider... 30 to 36 properties now middle of the pack is not bad at all yeah i haven't ranked it yet i'm not sure exactly where i would rank it i did find it somewhat entertaining i I do agree there's a lot of characters not just the eternals themselves but also we've got in the mid-credit and post-credit scenes we're getting introduced to more characters on top of that and i i was kind of like holy moly how are we going to incorporate all these people yeah it was kind of overwhelming i think that's probably one of the movies that may have benefited from being like an eight to ten episode series um, and it may have done better as a TV series than it did in a movie, as well as it may have done better than some of these other Disney Plus shows that we saw. Um, but, you know, overall, I'm glad that I got to see it. Um, it's not the best MCU property I've seen this year. I think that still goes to Spider-Man. Um, but uh, very much looking forward to anything they put out still. Um, and next is going to be Moon Knight, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I can't wait for Moon Knight. I saw the trailer, and the trailer only, we only get a glimpse of Moon Knight but it definitely looks very violent, which I know a lot of people are really excited about that because that means that we might be able to get to see Daredevil the way he's intended to be seen in a Daredevil series. I actually read that Daredevil is going to be in this at some point. So are we going to see Daredevil fight Moon Knight? That'd be kind of cool. That'd be incredibly badass. I mean, Oscar Isaac, um, he's going to provide an amazing performance. I can already tell and uh, very much looking forward to this series. And I also started watching a DC series on the CW, used to be the WB, and that is Superman and Lois. I watched all of season one. I'm now into season two, but it's one episode at a time, so I think there are three episodes in now. I really like this, and I didn't at first. The first episode, I'm like, I don't like this guy as Superman. But about three episodes in, I was like, all right, I like him as Superman. 
Yeah, the CW has a, a lot of properties out there, you know, under the DC umbrella, and they continue to pump them out. So, I mean, there must be some type of fandom for them, even though I'm not considered in them. And uh, I think overall, you know, maybe something I, I get into in the future, but that's probably the newest property I've heard of is the Superman and Lois. It, it may be something I look forward to, but uh, honestly, the, uh, the Smallville was one of the older Supermans that I think was... Uh, very underrated back when it happened. Um, I haven't really loved any of the Superman actors as far as the movies come. Uh, Henry Cable's been really good, but I haven't really loved it. I mean, Superman's not really my favorite superhero at all. He's probably closer to my least favorite. Well, I know we talked about this in the chat that we have where Superman is my all-time favorite comic book character movie. And for me, like I said, this guy's okay. You know, I do like Henry Cable. Henry Cable's good. I liked Brandon Routh a lot. That movie was awful, but I thought he was pretty good. And then I said, my Superman is always going to be Christopher Reeve. I mean, he's just awesome. Yeah, that's that's before my time, Grandpa. <laughs> and let's see. I finished, obviously, Yellowstone. I am up to date on 1883, and I've watched the first seven episodes of Ozark. Uh, and what do you think of the new season of Ozark? Kind of spoiler free, but uh, what do you think of it? I do like it. I like it. I know they're doing it in two parts. So like the first seven episodes dropped and now they're waiting a little bit and they're going to drop some more episodes. But I know that this is the final season. So I'm curious to see what happens with Marty and Wendy and the family. Yeah, a lot of loose ends to tie up. And uh, through three seasons, it was definitely more one of the more riveting shows that I began watching. And I think the way they ended season three, it kind of really left you on a cliffhanger. It was kind of a shocking way to end it. And uh Definitely looking forward to starting it myself. I haven't yet dipped my toes into season four, but uh, because of this hiatus that we had, it really gave you an opportunity to uh, get your claws into a lot of shows. But I am ready to uh, get into Indiana Jones. I'm, I'm sure you have the, the jingle uh, all lined up when we actually drop this episode, but go ahead and play it. Absolutely. Let's do it. So today we are recasting the Indiana Jones trilogy. Now, I call it a trilogy, even though I know that there are four movies, because just like I don't acknowledge Major League Three back to the minors, I am not going to acknowledge Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah, I did some reading up on that one, and it definitely sounds like uh, it's not one that people uh, were looking for or needed. And uh, this newer one that's apparently going to come out in the next year or two, whenever they can get Harrison Ford in there to stop being a cranky old man. Um, and actually get all his filming done. Um, they're going to do another one. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, these three, uh, it was the first three I had seen them win. Um, so uh, that may shock a lot of our fans and listeners. But uh, I, I enjoyed them. I wonder if I'd watched them when, you know, I was younger, if I would have enjoyed them more. Um, but it was, they were good for what they were. I saw it as like a a less tech, kind of Midwestern-y, uh, James Bond, like that's how I see Indiana Jones. It's like you know, there's there's usually a damsel in distress, um, and uh, he's got his trusty whip and uh, crazy folklore. Um, but uh, they were enjoyable. They definitely weren't the worst movies I've seen. Yeah, and I think that for me, I've enjoyed them. The Temple of Doom was the one that I hadn't seen in the longest period of time, so I had to go back and rewatch that one. And after rewatching it, I still don't like it. However, The Last Crusade, I've watched a number of times, and that's one that I would never have to see again, and I could still, by heart, like cast it, because I love The Last Crusade. 
Yeah, I, I think I probably um, enjoy one scene from the Temple of Doom more than any of the other three movies, um, or the other two movies, I'm sorry. Um, but overall, I enjoyed uh, the first one, uh, The Ark. Um, enjoyed that one more um, overall than all three of them. Um, but yeah, my favorite scene in general um, is on the bridge there um, in Temple of Doom. On the bridge. Okay. Yeah, I guess. You know, when he's like telling them to like, you know, wrap up their foot or whatever and he's got the sword. Yep. And, you know, you've got, uh, you know, the uh, Mola Ram, he's sitting there, you know, he's, and he's going to try plot his heart as they're hanging from the ladder there too. Um, and uh, he, uh, and he tells him to go to hell. Um, and uh, I just thought that was a good scene. I, I, I enjoyed that one-on-one. I think the, the less Nazi perspective, I think, you know, the, the, the first and the third, they really kind of relied on, on those a lot. Um, and the Nazi bad guys. So I, I liked what Molaram was pictured to be and what he was presented to be in general. So, um, that bridge scene and the way it all culminated with the alligators. I, I enjoyed that scene in general out of all three movies. I thought the dinner scene was a little bizarre. It, it was. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, obviously the Last Crusade. So the Last Crusade probably had some of my favorite moments from the franchise. I love when he gets Hitler's autograph at the book burning. Yes. And I thought that was funny. And then, obviously, the classic is him throwing the guy off the blimp and saying, "No ticket." <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got some great lines. I think in all three movies, he delivers you know a few iconic lines. And that whip noise is you know something I heard for a few days afterwards in my sleep. You know, it was. I'm wondering if you're going to drop that in here too. Becky, if you're listening, um, I, I definitely agree with Wayne. You know, Elsa was definitely the hottest one out of all three gals. Oh yeah, I mean it's not even close. And, and obviously, <laughs> the most annoying one is uh, Steven Spielberg's wife there in the in the second one. Oh, she's she's horrendous. We're gonna get into that um, when we end up talking about who we casted as her. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, I think it was very fun for you to uh, assign this. I know that early on in our recasting days, it was something I think your sister had even mentioned to you because. It was movies that you guys had enjoyed and, you know, something you would toss around the idea of, oh, I don't think we could just do one. We'd probably have to do the trilogy. And I just I'm glad that we're kind of finally having it come to fruition here uh, with this episode. So I'm curious to see how fans think of it. I think of it being so iconic, the song being iconic um, and uh, having it be such a huge fandom. So curious to see where fans go um, with our ideas. Now, this is the first time in a long time I've had to really explain the premise here because normally we just recast. But in this case, what we're doing is because we're taking a trilogy, we're recasting 10 roles in this movie, three villains, three damsels in distress, three side characters and Indiana. And each one of them is going to age essentially as the movie progresses or as the trilogy progresses because Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 1981, Temple of Doom in 84, and The Last Crusade in 89. Whoever we pick to play Elsa, for example, is going to be eight years older when she actually plays this role. So if me or Jesse were to cast somebody who's 18 right now, we are looking at them at 26 for The Last Crusade. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, again, hopefully, you know, a lot of our fans are going to take the time to listen to the episode and, and hear that little nugget. But if not, you know, do your best based on the pictures that we provide later on. But I think it really is going to be um, in the best interest of our fans to uh, listen to that nugget there. Now, there really doesn't need much of a – everyone knows who Indiana Jones is. He's a professor of archaeology who goes on adventures, and he finds artifacts that belong in the museum. And one of the things I'm going to touch on – I'm not going to do it right here, but I, I did tell Jesse to bring his battle armor because I'm going to go really hard Mike Tyson style at him with one of these picks, and, and we'll get into that. It's not the first pick but because we're going to start off with the three villains. 
and we're going to start and, and each one of these sections we're going to go raiders temple crusade on all of them now in the side characters there are two characters who appear in both raiders and the crusade but whatever just go with it all right so you go ahead and lead us off wayne with whatever character we're starting off and i'll make sure to have my shield and sword ready okay well we are starting off with major arnold tote good evening Fraulein. the bar is closed we are we are not thirsty what do you want the same thing your friend Dr. Jones wanted. Surely he told you there would be other interested parties. Now, this was a character in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He was the villain, the guy with the glasses, the very weird kind of looking guy with the, the hat. And he wore all black and he burns his hand on the necklace. And that's how they, they make a clone of it so that they can find out where the Ark is. He was played by Ronald Lacey. Lacey started acting in the 1960s, a lot of TV movies, nothing really big. None of the movies he did I, I was familiar with. But here's what I'm looking for for this character. He's got to be weird looking because this guy was really weird looking. He's got to be creepy. So not intimidating, but creepy, scary in a way. And he can't really be physically strong or imposing. Like, he looks like he'd get beat up if he wasn't surrounded by a bodyguard of Nazi's armies. And the guy that I came up with was Paul Rubens, who is Pee Wee Herman. That's how people would know him. But obviously, he's done some more serious roles as well. He was in Mystery Men. He was in Blow. He was fantastic in Blow. He is Mr. Vargas in Blacklist. He really, he checks all the boxes. Creepy, old, white guy. Yeah, I definitely didn't hate the pick. I'm glad there's no movie theaters um, within this film. Uh, we want to keep Pee Wee away from those, um, but definitely got the creepy vibe uh, that you had to describe. You know, he is not anybody that is super strong, um, and I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, my character, I wanted someone who he himself is German. He himself has experience in the you know the the neo-Nazi kind of uh, experience, and uh, my choice certainly does within Inglorious Bastards. And that's Till Schweiger. Um, this guy, to me, looks a lot like the original actor, has that same face. And I think with his Nazi experience in that film uh, that he did with Tarantino, I think that he could certainly jump right in. Um, you know, with his age, um, he is a little older than 50 now. So uh, I don't think he's going to be, um, you know, physically imposing at all. Um, this isn't him in his prime uh, where, you know, in Germany he's done majority of his um, work. But... Uh, Till Schweiger is my choice here, and I think face um, and uh, you know just his uh, his familiarity with um, what this film you know provides with such a Nazi presence, I think he could definitely jump right in and be a good fit. Yeah, so I was doing some of my research on him because I hadn't really heard of him or I wasn't familiar with him, and I know that he is considered Germany's best actor, so that's always good to have that going into it. Like you said, Inglorious Bastards, Replacement Killers, Tomb Raider. You know, he's done some stuff here in the states. The only thing I think when I was looking at it, because like I said, my box, one of the things was it had to be kind of a creepy, weird looking guy. And I think Till Schweiger is a little bit handsome. So I don't know uh, if you didn't really kind of check this or have the same boxes as I did. I definitely don't think he's a great looking guy. I mean, like I mentioned, I think I, I see a bit more of a resemblance to the original actor. I think his face is uh, pretty, pretty, pretty tight, pretty small looking. He's, he's definitely showing age, definitely looks a little bit weathered. Uh, so I think, you know, you add buckets of sweat, as the original actor did, and uh, I think he's still going to provide um, a very high creep level. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to touch Pee Wee Herman as far as creep level, um, but uh, definitely uh, think that I provided somebody that with the 
the, the German and film background could provide what I was looking for. All right. So now you have our second villain, which is Temple of Doom's Mola Ram. You were caught trying to steal the Shankara stones. There were five stones in the beginning. Over the centuries, they were dispersed by wars, sold off by thieves like you. Uh, yes, I do. And uh, Mola Ram uh, was the, uh, the high priest and cult leader. Uh, he uh, controlled the supernatural. Um, he would, uh, you know, set things on fire. Um, our first introduction to him um, has uh, us peering uh, into a cave and, and seeing him sacrifice somebody uh, down into uh, the, the fiery pits there and, and has the, the gentleman's heart burning in his hand um, at that moment. And so definitely a bit of a, the supernatural there. Um, a bit older, um, but based on his dress and attire... Um, was definitely someone who was very highly regarded in, you know, the movie and, and in his culture there and uh, was the, the main villain of Indy. And uh, like we had mentioned, um, that was actually my favorite uh, scene was the bridge scene where he ends up coming to his demise over the, the alligators and falling down in there um, in his search for the stones. Uh, but I, I think, you know, the original actor was someone who was mainly known for his his Bollywood or his his Hindi films uh, prior to being approached by, you know, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and uh, doing this uh, film, uh, Indiana Jones, and being coming over here as a big villain. Um, and I think he definitely delivered. Um, I liked the aspect that it wasn't so Nazi-heavy as the first and third film were. Um, and so for my representation here, I have a mainly or mostly only uh, Bollywood film uh, star here, and that's Sunil Shetty. Um, he had started his uh, acting career um, in the 90s as an action hero, won some awards as an action hero, and then kind of flipped the script and um, has been nominated twice uh, for the Best Villain Award and won it once over there in Bollywood. So uh, a very big name over there, someone who has played both action hero and big-time villain. Um, and Sunil Shetty, someone who not anybody that uh, listens is going to know of until they look him up, but someone who definitely has the resume uh, to come over and follow in the footsteps of someone who did that in the Temple of Doom film originally. So this is the part of the show where I'm going to peel off the boxing gloves, dip the taped up hands in glue, and then glass a la kickboxer. Because this was my big issue when we were chatting in the chat, when we were going back and forth, we were submitting each other's cast, was I believe that prior to seeing Temple of Doom, you had already kind of come up with your cast. You said you were watching the films to kind of double check and make sure that you had the right people. And so you would wa- you hadn't seen Temple of Doom yet. You'd pick Sunil Shetty, who has not done any American movies. And so the way I looked at this one was you picked an actor that you for a role you had never seen and the actor you picked you've never seen which screamed to me of i'm going to google hindi actors and pick one that looks good or i read into what this person has done and felt that he'd be a fantastic fit for what the original idea was i mean how much film were you able to research on the original actor that played molaram not much, I'm sure, because he was mainly known for what he did in his home country, which is the vision that I had was trying to replicate what the original directors did and bring you somebody who was very of that that uh, 
that ilk, someone who could just throw on some garb and say his very few bits of line, but be more physically imposing and imposing with his his stare, an intimidating stare, then he's going to be with our known filmography or what, what we see on his Wikipedia. So, I mean, what you may see as a weakness or a silly uh, blunder by me, I see it as fantastic vision and following in the footsteps of the original act of director and getting someone who I'm supplanting out of that country and throwing the Temple of Doom garb on and giving him the opportunity to do what he has proven he could do in his home country. So this is the first one that we're going to age the characters. So Sunil Shetty is 60, but because we're making this movie three years from now, he's going to be 63, uh, which is fine. I know Mola Ram was 51. My actor is going to be older as well. But just to let you guys know, that's how it's working. So he's 60 now. He's going to be 63 when we do the film. And I haven't really, obviously, I haven't seen any Hindi movies. If he's been voted as best villain, I'm guessing he can play intimidating, which is something I had for the role. So that was my only real gripe, I think, with the the cast was this particular character. But again, if, if he's one best villain, then we know that he can he can play scary. Hey, the stats prove it, man. But uh, I definitely think that when you sent over your list, um, you're going to get a lot of people just based on familiarity. Um, and I think um, that may be to, uh, you know, my uh, it, it may definitely suck for me when votes come in. But uh, I am very confident in my uh, vision of getting somebody I feel the original directors would have gone for. But again, I think yours is going to win just on familiarity early on. But go ahead and let the fans know who you got. Sure. So I went with, well, so the characteristics I was looking for is somebody who's intimidating and scary, of course, and has kind of a native look. I know he's uh, Hindu or Hindi. And so he had kind of like that native look. Now, I didn't go with a Hindi actor. I went with a Native American and his name is Rodney A. Grant. He's 62 years old. Three years from now, he'll be 65. He played Wind in His Hair in Dances with Wolves. He was Johnny Glades in The Substitute. He was Hudson in Wild Wild West with Will Smith. But I definitely think of him as Wind in His Hair uh, in Dances with Wolves with Kevin Costner. He was so scary and intimidating in that role. And he wasn't a bad guy. He was just a Native American who happened to uh, meet Kevin Costner, who was obviously a white guy in the Midwest. But he was really scary. I thought, oh, that's what I want. That, that face he has when they first meet, that's the guy I want. Yeah, again, I think familiarity, you're going to get it on there. And he's got a great look to him. I don't think it's much different than what the original actor uh, was able to provide. So this one, I didn't see uh, much to, to fight about on, on either side. I have uh, much bigger issues with you know some of your other choices than I do with anything you provided so far. I think you did a good job so far with providing uh, what I think not only your ideas of the characters are, but really just the general ideas with creepy with Paul Rubin and and then just intimidation and you know without you know kind of being too bold here. I think getting the right color and, and idea for our our Mola ramp. We want someone who's intimidating, um, but we also weren't going to pick you know, the big show from Wrestling World in this one. We wanted someone who's going to definitely be more idealistic of what the movie presented us. For sure. And that brings us to the villain in The Last Crusade, which was Walter Donovan. The Holy Grail, Dr. Jones. The chalice used by Christ during the Last Supper. The cup that caught his blood at the crucifixion and was entrusted to Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, Walter Donovan obviously hires Indy to go find the grail. Come to find out, he's trying to find it 
for the Nazis, but he's really trying to find it for himself so that he can live forever. And he chooses poorly in the end. This is I think we say it every episode. The movies we're recasting. It's not spoiler free. Yeah, you're going to have to go ahead and deal with it, folks. Walter Donovan was played by Julian Glover. He was 54 years old when he played the role. He was previously in The Empire Strikes Back with George Lucas, obviously directed that. So he's got some familiarity with Lucas. That's how he ended up in this. He was in Doctor Who, Gulliver's Travels. And just to me, older, rich, pompous collector type. He's not an action guy. He's not going to fist fight Indy. He's going to have the Nazis do it for him. So I wanted to go with somebody who has that kind of smarmy white hair and just kind of like I'm a rich old white guy kind of feel. And I went with Victor Garber, who is 72 years old. He'll be 80 when this film comes out. He looks really good for his age, by the way. And he was Jack Bristow in Alias. He was in Legally Blonde. He was in Titanic. I think he was the engineer or the captain, one of those two. Uh, one of the people that was at dinner with Leo. And he's very big in the CWDC series uh, as Dr. Martin Stein. So he's a guy who, to me, just oozed Walter Donovan. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to dip my hands in glass here, Wayne, but I think an 80-year-old gentleman trying to pull off what the original actor did in his 50s is a bit of a stretch, especially for someone that was trying to nitpick um, with my last pick. Um, I think if you're trying to provide me uh, aliases, Victor Garber, heck yeah. But we're talking about 15 years ago already, and then we're talking about eight years after that. So I don't know. I don't think he's going to be able to provide the same acting ability or the same, uh, you know, believability um, that the original actor had. I mean, do you really want to live forever once you're 80 or do you want to just be done? I mean, I think by the time I'm 80, I'm probably just toast. Just let me go. As I, say, I do think that obviously I watch a lot of the CW DC series because I'm a big DC guy. Yeah. And obviously as Dr. Martin Stein, he's still great. And uh, he, like I said, he's very young. We were talking about this at the beginning of the show, the way that some of these people have aged. I mean, I know that Julian Glover was only 54, but he looks 70. You know, Victor Garber is going to be 80, but he's probably going to look 65. So I, I think it works out. I think it balances out. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely something uh, – he's some, someone recognizable from Alias. That's where I'm going to go ahead and, and pull most inspiration um, from him. And I think that, you know, he, he's menacing. I can see him play that villainous role, um, that more, you know, hands-off, um, have somebody do the dirty work type of guy who's looking for that forever wealthiness. So I don't hate the pick. I just – you know, for someone that, you know, likes to nitpick a little bit, I think age um, – because you, you were mentioning the age gaps that these, these characters are going to be – you know, portraying and think I had to Google while you were talking about it. And I'm like 72 plus the eight years. Oh my goodness. Is this guy going to have a Walker? Um, and, uh, so don't hate it. Um, uh, but certainly wasn't my favorite of your, your three villains. Um, which brings me to my representation of this one. And that's Christian Bale. Uh, Christian Bale has played wealthy in both the, the dark Knight trilogy, um, as well as the, uh, was it, uh, American psycho, um, and uh, he's played, uh, you know, both good and bad. And I think eight years from now, he'd have that that graying, wealthy, distinguished look um, that he would need to have. I think he is a fantastic actor, somebody who transforms his body and his accent um, to do many amazing roles. And I think eight years from now, he wouldn't be needing that, um, you know, A-list role. He could certainly play a villainous roles such as Walter Donovan and deliver it very well. So yeah, Christian Bale is my Walter Donovan. I was actually surprised that Christian Bale is only 47. So he's going to be 55 when he does this. I thought he was already in his 50s, but apparently not. I still think he looks young, and I do like the idea of a Nazi sympathizing Bruce Wayne for sure. 
And Christian Bale is a fantastic actor. Anything he touches, he's going to be great in. I haven't seen him turn in a bad performance. So it would be interesting. I, I think my only concern with the character, I like the pick. I think he's a great cast. I think my only concern if I'm directing the film when we get to Indiana Jones is are there going to be scenes where they're in the you know, the screen together where maybe the focus is more on Bale as the bigger actor? Well, that's where I'm going to go ahead and rely um, and lean on the eight-year gap, the fact that we're going to let my Indiana Jones, when we get to him, no spoiler alerts, folks, um, I'm, we're going to allow him to you know, have that traction by getting to a third movie, whereas by then I think uh, Christian Bale, again, is going to be 54, like you had mentioned, um, you know, in his mid-50s, someone who I don't think is going to be aiming for those A-list roles anymore, maybe even not you know, top-tier uh, representation. So I think that he'll be able to um, play nicely um, as that other role in there. Um, but that we can let the fans decide on that. But I, I, it's fair criticism for sure with such a big name. All right. And that kind of rounds out our villains. Now we're heading into our leading ladies. Yes, we are. Um, which, um, if we're starting in chronological order, that's going to start us off with Marion. Indiana Jones. always knew someday you'd come walking back through my door. I never doubted that. Something made it inevitable. So what are you doing here in Nepal? Uh, Marion is someone who um, had a relationship with Indy as a, a young gal. I'm not going to say someone under 18 because that would lead us to have a bad image of Indy, but certainly a young adult. And um, then uh, his closeness with Marion ended up um, kind of pushing him and his uh, her father away. Um, and so uh, Marion and her father end up moving and uh, kind of starting their own um, research and search for the Ark. And uh, we find Marion, the first time we see her, she's having a bit of a drinking battle um, with, looks to be, you know, so, some husky looking fella. Um, and uh, she's going uh, shot for shot or drink for drink um, until that person passes out. So we definitely see she's got some intestinal fortitude. Um, she seems to be, you know, strong, but not overwhelmingly strong. You know, she puts up a decent fight, but she is captured. She gets thrown into a barrel. Um, and uh, she was someone that, you know, I, I didn't mind on the screen. Being the first one that we see, I didn't hate her, um, you know, as much as, you know, I disliked someone as we see moving forward. Um, but, um, you know, Marion, um, she, um, she fights Nazis alongside Indy for as much of the movie as she can when she's not being captured. Um, my pick for her is Katie Lotz. Uh, Wayne has brought up the CW and, uh, their DC, uh, connection there, their relationship for a while. And she's actually, uh, someone that plays, uh, Canary or White Canary there in that CW Arrowverse. Uh, she's beautiful. She's strong. She's bold. Um, and uh, she was in Mad Men um, prior to doing uh, the White Canary role. Um, so she's been prim and proper as well as, um, you know, kind of kind of can kick some butt, but she's obviously not um, a huge um, CW star. You know, she's not Supergirl or Catwoman, um, but she's uh, uh, under that CW DC umbrella. So again, Katie Lotz is my Marion. Yeah, and I think she checks the boxes of Marion that I had, which was basically very strong, independent feisty kind of a, a sexiness to her feistiness and she's not going to put up with any crap of the three leading ladies she's definitely the most independent of all of them and i think that katie lots fills that role i guess my only thing and it's not a bad 
choice. You know, this is where it gets to who likes chocolate, who likes vanilla, right? I mean, I don't like back when we did the picks for Back to the Future. We know I, I'm not a big fan of uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. My only issue with Katie Lotz is she's just not sexy enough for me. Like, I, I just don't find her super attractive. Yeah, and I mean, to me, I wasn't trying to find the most attractive one here. I'm going to leave that for, for Elsa. Um, uh, and uh, I just I needed her to be beautiful, um, not annoying, um, and someone who was strong enough to, to hold her own um, for the most part, but also still needs some saving. Um, and that's what Indy definitely had to do, was do some saving, but not as much hand-holding as he had to do with someone else amongst this trilogy. Yeah, Karen Allen played the original. She was 30 years old when she did. She had done Starman, Animal House, Cruising. She's a very pretty girl. Again, not over the top like Margot Robbie type, but she's very pretty. And again, very strong, sexy, independent. I went with Jordana Brewster, who everybody knows from Fast and the Furious. She's Mia and obviously very pretty, very independent, very tough, very butt kicking. She was also in Annapolis uh, as like a Marine or a Navy you know, commander. Uh, she's done quite a bit, but, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think. But basically, she's the person who, when we get to my indie, I think that she's she's the one that I really wanted to be the Marian. Yeah, definitely Vin Diesel's little uh, sister um, in the Fast and Furious movies is probably the most recognizable that any of our fans are going to know her from, especially because they've done 17 of those movies. Um, but she is, you know, she, she fits the bill, Wayne. I have no issues with her at all. I think she provide strength but not overpowering strength uh, again i think that we still needed to pick somebody who needed to be saved um at some times um and jordana is definitely beautiful um i think that she has that that olive skin and dark hair as uh, marion did in the film so i really like your pick here for her um i had zero complaints with jordana brewster um and uh off the, the name alone i didn't recognize her but after looking into it i and seeing her 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 most notable work, I was like, of course I know who that is. And I think, you know, you did a great job of just matching up what the characteristics were of the two ladies. That brings us to Willie Scott, who is, I believe, both of our least favorite of these women. They snap out of it. You're not one of them. <laughs> You're not one of them. <laughs> Please come back to us. Don't leave me. Who was played by Kate Capshaw. This is Steven Spielberg's wife. This was her first major movie role, and it's understandable why she did not become a big Hollywood starlet. She was incredibly annoying in this film, constantly screaming. I couldn't stand her. She is quasi-attractive. I say quasi. She's not, again, a knockout. So that's really what I was looking at here. I said, all right, who's somebody who is moderately attractive? but would annoy the crap out of you for two hours. And I went with Sarah Michelle Gellar. She obviously is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Daphne and Scooby-Doo. In Scream 2, she's Cece. It's Cruel Intentions. Listen, we know you know who Sarah Michelle Gellar is. It's Freddie Prince Jr.'s wife, and she's annoying. She would be annoying in this. Yeah, definitely known as like a, a Scream queen um, when she wasn't, you know, there in that Scooby-Doo franchise. Um, definitely a looker. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't say that Willie is unattractive. I just think that what she does when her mouth opens takes away of the attractiveness. Um, but uh, I would agree with you. She was one of the more annoying characters I've seen uh, in TV or movie in a long time, right up there with uh, Deb from Dexter. Um, I, I think that, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar is 
uh, a good pick for this. I think that she definitely has those qualities of if I have to watch an entire movie review, ugh. Um, but if I just get in a little snippet, if I watch it, you know, maybe just smile more um, and talk less, I could really go for you. Uh, so these are one of these ones uh, when where I'm not mad at it and I don't love it, but I'm, I'm right there in the middle. I think this is a good fit. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, I, I saw Willie, you know, we know she was a singer. The first time we see her, she's singing in, I believe it's like a, an Asian karaoke or some type of bar. Um, but she's a, a country singer. Um, and she definitely has an infatuation with wealth and diamonds um, and, uh, you know, being out in the wild where they are in, you know, the Temple of Doom, she's going to see a lot uh, more, you know, dirtiness and animals um, that she's not uh, accustomed to seeing. And so she definitely whines about it a lot. Um, it whines about the elephants, which, you know, are so majestic. I love elephants. Um, so that bothered me when she ha was bothered by the elephants. But uh, for my representation of Willie, um, I have Taylor Swift, you know, a, a somewhat beautiful country singer who is always dolled up and always whining in her songs for about 15 years now about heartbreak. So I just, I saw someone who, you know, I could see just whining throughout the film, screaming, just making it pretty unbearable to continue through the film. But due to her, her beauty, you stick along with it. And also because, you know, it's an Indiana Jones film. Yeah, I think that I understand exactly what you're going for here, and I think you hit it, which is, again, we get somebody who is already annoying. Nobody likes Taylor Swift, you know, and you see her and you just go, ugh, you know, which is what we want here with Willie. But at the same time, we're not saying yuck because of her looks because, yeah, she's attractive. We just don't like her. And I think hit the nail on the head with Taylor Swift. And plus, I really like the idea of just like. Steven Spielberg gave his wife this opportunity to, to act. I know Taylor Swift has done a little bit. She was in Cats, but that's a musical. We're giving Taylor Swift an opportunity here to be a major motion picture leading lady. So maybe she'll end up your wife at the end. Hey, I, I wouldn't hate that. I, I've had worse partners for sure, Wayne. <laughs> Although if you break up, she'll write a song about it. Jesus, she wrote like a nine-minute song about her three-month relationship with was it Jake Gyllenhaal or Ryan Gosling, one of the two. <laughs> They're having to relive her her whole song right now. So she's... But she's pretty, she's beautiful, but oh my goodness, when she opens up her mouth, it's just a nonstop, like, nails on the chalkboard, why didn't she stay with me, teardrops on my guitar, like, oh my goodness, girl, like, get yourself a toy. <laughs> All right. uh, next, um, it looks like we're bringing up, um, is it Salah? No, uh, Dr. Elsa Snyder. Oh, I'm sorry, look at, look at me trying to skip a, our most attractive lady here. Uh, yes, so Elsa is an Austrian art historian uh, and also a former Olympic swimmer. My room. Mine too. What were they looking for? This. The Grail Diary. Uh huh. You had it. You didn't trust me. Um, she was recruited by the Nazis to extract information from both Indy and her father, Henry Jones. Um, so she seductively swindles both of them. Um, and, uh, I definitely found her to be the most attractive. Her accent was pretty captivating. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I struggled not casting Margot Robbie here. And so in not doing so, I casted who I think her, is her, her, her cheaper doppelganger, her wish.com version. And that is Samara Weaving. Um, that is Hugo Weaving's niece. Um, she's best known for, um, you know, being in Guns Akimbo with my, my man, Daniel Radcliffe. 
Um, and uh, she was also in that show Nine Perfect Strangers that I watched on Hulu this past year. Um, for this one, I see beauty, I see strength, uh, international flair, um, the ability to be undercover, um, you know, that we, we saw from Elsa. So, yeah, Samara Weaving is going to end up being my Elsa. Um, I think she'll fit that right age requirement, um, that right bubble. And, um, you know, she's beautiful um, as well as, you know, can be sneaky and conniving. Yeah, I think we both went a little bit older here with the picks. I know that Allison Duty was 23 when she played the role. Hadn't really done anything before this. She went on later to do Major League Two. She was Rick Vaughn's girlfriend, the publicist, or whatever she was. Very, very, very attractive. And like I told you before you watched it, I'm like, she's definitely my favorite. Samara Weaving, you know, she's 30 now. She'll be 38 when she does the role. But like I said, I liked Nix's character. I liked her character as Nix in Guns Akimbo. You know, she was Penelope in Three Boards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, which is a really hardcore drama. Thea in Bill and Ted, that's Ted's daughter. So... I like her. I think that she's definitely got the role and she's got the nice looks and that's really what we need, right? Full lips. That's the big thing. Full lips and nice blonde hair. Absolutely. Yeah. Pick a stunner. Now, my stunner is going to seem very young, but again, that's why we got this age jump here. I went with Dove Cameron. She's 26. She's going to be 34 by the time she does a role. So 11 years older than Allison Duty was. But we know her from Descendants as Mal. She was Amber and Hairspray. Plays a lot of those teeny bopper roles, even still at 26. So I think people see her and they think she's like 15, but no, she's 26 and she's going to be 34 when she plays Elsa in My Last Crusade. Yeah, she's one of the more baby-faced actresses I've ever seen. And I just, I think for the fact that you and I both have daughters who have dressed up as as Mal for Halloween and we're both so very aware of what the descendants are that I don't think I can separate uh, her in, into being the most attractive female in the Indiana Jones trilogy. I just see her as this this young girl with, with crazy looking hair and she's about to drop into a musical bit. Um, so I, 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 I like this one because she's definitely an attractive young girl, but it, it just makes me feel wrong for saying that she's going to be the sexiest girl. Um, you know, I guess I would need to just put my, my crystal ball in front of me and look ahead and, you know, be okay with it. Um, so, I mean, I definitely think that she's a a well-acclaimed actress. I think, you know, if you get under that Disney umbrella early on, it helps, and then it kind of can help propel you. And I think she's got a bright future ahead of her. Um, I just think she's very young-looking. Um, so I struggle to see her, you know, being, um, I guess, evil and sexy. Um, but we'll see what the fans think of it, Wayne. I just, I think I'm, I'm just so totally associating her from being the descendants that it's tough for me to think use that sexy word i think that's the biggest thing is is people have to remember this is an eight-year age jump because i think the idea of picturing her sleeping with my indiana jones and my mr dad indiana jones yeah. is uh, a little rough <laughs> right yeah yeah you may get some you may get some hate mail for that but uh you know I, I, she's very pretty i'll say that she's a very pretty girl and in eight years, she could certainly blossom. And just outside of looks alone, I think that Dove Cameron has a very bright future as it comes to you know her, her cinematic or TV future. Um, so I, I think the, you got a very good actress there. I just I'm not going to use the uh, the S E X E Y word because that may get me in trouble. Um, but uh, you know I, I like the pick way, and I just don't love it um, just based on my own ability to use that word right now with her. Um, but but. Uh, Moving forward here, um, we're going to get into some of Indy's pals. And uh, I would say his best pal is uh, Salah. Um, 
He is Egypt's best digger. My services are entirely inconsequential to them. You hired or shanghaied every digger in Cairo. The excavation is enormous. They hire only strongbacks and they pay pennies for them. It's as if the pharaohs had returned. Um, he is a family man, a father of nine. Um, he's a very wise guy. He sings. Uh, wholesome and jolly. Um, I kind of picture him as like an Egyptian Santa. Um, and uh, originally played by Jonathan Rhys Davies, um, who also played Gimli in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, well, I don't think he did a bad performance at all. I think he really delivered. I think in this day and age, it would be a mistake to not pick somebody that would more closely resemble Egypt's best digger, um, where, you know, he was obviously a Welsh actor. Um, so I don't want to say it was miscast back then, but I think it'd be wrong for us to not cast somebody that's more closely associated with, I think, Egypt. Um, so for that, I went with someone who I think all of our, our listeners and, and of our fans online are going to see his picture and go, haha, yes, I know him. I know him specifically for protecting shit in the sand in Egypt. And that is Oded Fair. Oded is uh, most notably known from The Mummy. He played a royal bodyguard in the first two Mummy movies. Um, you're also going to know him as the sexy dude from Deuce, Deuce Bigelow. Uh, he was in Resident Evil and Sleeper Cell as well, but I see him as, you know, wiser, older now. He's got the longer kind of gray hair. Um, he's definitely showing more of his age now, but I just think um, his delivery and, and what he stood for in The Mummy um, was, was perfect for what I'm looking for here. I think um, he would definitely present to me a guy that has nine kids and has worked his way up the ranks to be known as the best digger in Egypt. Um, so jolly, wise, um, alarmed that, you know, they're digging into something that they probably shouldn't, but is willing to help out our, our star. Yeah, and I think we definitely, both of us went a little bit older than John Reese Davies, who was 37 and then 45, excuse me, and then 45 in the films. Uh, I know Oded Farah is 51 now. He'll be 59 when he does The Last Crusade. But I really like this pick. This is probably my favorite pick of yours because he does have that action-slash-comedy background from the Mummy movies, which are kind of like Indiana Jones-type movies. And then, obviously, in Deuce Bigelow, comedy. And that was my big thing with Sala is that he's funny. He's kind of like comic relief. And I also put Middle Eastern. So the same thing with you. Like, obviously, if we're going to cast it today, we've got to pick somebody with some sort of Middle Eastern descent. We can't be casting, you know, Welsh or British actors. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, I like the pick. Oded Fair, I think, is a good pick here. And I do think that he makes a formidable team with Indiana Jones, whereas Salah didn't necessarily. I mean, he punches a couple guys out when he's fighting with Martin Brody there. But he's kind of a heavy set, you know, guy. And so for me, like I said, I wanted somebody who was kind of cocky because he is very arrogant and he's very funny and he's the comic relief for the film. Because we'll get in, when we do Indiana, we'll talk about his comedy because he's not a comedian. And I feel like Sala was kind of a comedian. And so I went with Jason Mantzoukas, who was Nadal in The Dictator. He was Frank in The House. But I always think of him as Adrian Pimento in Brooklyn Nine-Nine which is just like this crazy off-the-reservation kind of police officer, just always weird, always kooky. And I thought, man, he would be so funny as Sala. Yeah, between uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The League, and Big Mouth, that's where most of my inspiration comes for Jason Matsukas. I think he's got one of the most recognizable voices out there. I think he's definitely a crazy character. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head with the looks. But as far as character, I think this is my least favorite fit because 
Well, he well I do see the comedic uh, you know timing and the comedic necessity um, with Salah. I just I think you know Mansukis is just so inappropriate that I just I can't find a good fit between him and finding that same jolly father of nine wise Egyptian digger that I have here with the guy that voices just some of the worst stuff I've ever seen between, again, the league, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Big Mouth. This guy is inappropriate and and off the wall, and he's over the top. And so, love the look. Just, I, I hate the fit personality-wise because I, while I see the comedy, I just think his is just so hardcore and over the top and, and just dirty that I don't see him as my Egyptian Santa, which... Maybe this that that's my fixation with Salah as, as I have him more being jolly and and kind hearted where you know you're kind of coming in with someone that's a, a little bit more rough to the touch uh, as far as what his resume shows. All right, and I think that will play when we get to my Indiana Jones, who's a little bit of a, a goody goody, so it'll kind of like be a nice little balance. Um, but obviously that brings us to Marcus Brody. So Marcus Brody was also in Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Last Crusade. Uh, does anyone here speak English? He is the owner of a museum. He is originally played by Denholm Elliott, who was 59 and then 67 in the sequel. Really been acting since 1947. He was in The Hound of Bakersville, you know, Jekyll and Hyde. But he's kind of like a fun, warm grandpa type, a little bit clueless, kind of a dummy that just like wanders around. You have to constantly grab his wrist and be like, hey, not that way. Hey, don't touch that. (laughs) You know, he's that goofy guy. And so for me, I went with Mark Addy, who will be 58 in the first film, 66 in the second. So right in line with the same age. He's Roland from A Knight's Tale. He was Dave in The Full Monty. He is Robert Baratheon from Game of Thrones. Uh, And, of course, my favorite all-time role of him is in a show called uh, Still Standing. He played Bill Miller, a Chicago salesman. And, obviously, he was from the Flintstones, Viva Rock Vegas. He's he's got a pretty good resume. But he's just a really fun guy, and he has that kind of warmth to him. And I think he kind of plays that dopiness a little bit. Yeah, my favorite pick by you here, Wayne. I love Mark Addy, I think. We definitely dove into how he played kind of big brother, father type figure in A Knight's Tale. And I think that, you know, this would be very perfect for him. He's obviously aged up more now. Um, I also enjoy the show that you mentioned is still standing. I think that, um, you know, through his performance there, it was tough for me to even know that he was a British guy, Um, you know, as he kind of brought me back in um, as King Baratheon. Um, But yeah, really great choice here. I think that... You know, he is definitely going to provide the, you know, the, the light humor, um, the almost like the, the off, he's hands off, but he's also pushing Indy to kind of do these things and get involved. And he, he finds enjoyment in them as well. Um, so he's almost like living vicariously through Indy in a lot of these things until he does kind of get involved. Uh, so I uh, really love your pick of Mark Addy. I think that was wonderful. Um, my pick here uh, is... Martin Freeman and, uh, you know, Martin Brody, um, he, he is a curator of several museums, um, a dean of students, a friend of both Indy and his dad. So he's someone who's a little bit older. Um, he's definitely proper, um, but likes to be in on what's going on. And, you know, Martin Freeman, um, known mostly um, as Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit, 
which is a trilogy that Wayne definitely loves. Um, and then he uh, is known as uh, Everett Ross in the Marvel movies. Um, we see him in um, the uh, the Black Panther Civil War, I think it is, where he's uh, going face to face with uh, Baron Zemo and the Winter Soldier. Uh, so uh, someone that I think looks prim proper. I think you put a, a tux on him and he looks like he's the curator of a museum or the dean of students and someone that I think would, would want to be involved, but in a more hands-off approach. So yeah, Martin Freeman. Yeah, and I liked Martin Freeman as his choice as well. Yeah, like you said, very high society. You know, he strikes me as somebody who would wear a tux more than he wears a flak jacket. And so the whole thing would be kind of foreign to him. And even in The Last Crusade, we get the scene where he's in the tank and he's holding a gun and he kind of holds it with two fingers and drops it. Like he just doesn't know what to do with weapons and things. He, that's not his thing. His thing is books and museums. And so I think that Martin Freeman would play that really well, even though he did play Everett Ross. I think that he would do a really good job of kind of playing that bumbling museum curator. So I, I did like the pick a lot. And what I want to kind of mention about a lot of these picks as we head into the next pick, which I know you're going to lead off with, I feel like a lot of these picks, and even Indy himself, very bland. Would you agree? Like, not a lot of personality to a lot of these picks. I agree, and that's that's why I didn't really love watching them now. I think if I were to watch them as a kid, maybe I'd kind of get in, get more, you know, oh, yeah, buy me the outfit, Mom. I want a little whip, a little hat. Um, but, you know, there's not a lot to them. I mean, I, I think I even wanted to mention a scene from the first movie where he's teaching, and one of the girls has something written on her, like, eyelids there. It's like he doesn't seem like he has the personality to be pulling one of his hot students. So what are we doing here? Like, he's just, I don't know, he's, he doesn't have as much pizzazz as I think, you know, Spielberg and Lucas wanted us to believe he had. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's it, it was tough to kind of, I think, find the right fits. Um, but so far, I think we've found some pretty good fits. And uh, I'm excited to get into the battles between, because we are getting into our, our final two here. So... Uh, Indy and Papa. So uh, we'll see what fans think of these. Um, and uh, so I'm going to start off with Henry, Dr. Henry Jones. <laughs> you don't. Do you think my son would be that stupid that he would bring my diary all the way back here? <laughs> you didn't, did you? You didn't bring it, did you? Well, uh, you did. Look, can we discuss this later? I should have mailed it to the Marx brother. Will you take it easy? Um, originally played uh, there by Sean Connery. Uh, he's an archaeologist and a professor of medieval studies. Uh, an expert on the grail and lore. Um, he's the father of Indy. They had a very difficult relationship. Um, they touch on it as uh, with young Indy, uh, played by River Phoenix there. Um, you know, he's, he's older, wise, uh, graying, but still dashing, um, enough to swoon uh, young gals, even though the young gals are kind of meant to, to, to trick him. I think that Sean Connery, even at, at this point, was definitely a dashing fellow. So uh, my goal was finding somebody who uh, checked a lot of those boxes. I wanted a Scottish guy, got it. I wanted somebody who had experience or, you know, a, a good amount of knowledge with uh, medieval times, got it. And I want someone that even in uh, his older age could come off as dashing if, you know, he's uh, put in the right situation. Um, and uh, I think I got that as well. So I have here uh, Ian Glenn, uh, a Scottish actor, uh, spent many seasons as Mormont in the Game of Thrones. Um, and uh, you may know uh, he plays Bruce Wayne in Titans, um, a DC property. Um, he's also known from the Resident Evil films, um, but I get an older, wiser Scottish you know, vibe, and uh, that's what I was looking for here with Dr. Henry Jones. 
Yeah. And so Ian Glenn, obviously, this is, again, we're going to do a time jump here. Sean Connery was 59 when he played this role. And Ian Glenn right now is 50. We're going to add eight years, so he's going to be 58. And the thing with him is, obviously, he was in Tomb Raider, uh, Kingdom of Heaven, which was great. And my only disappointment with this pick is this. is Like I said, all of these characters in the Indiana Jones franchise with the exception of Sala that we've recasted so far, have been very bland, like flatline, kind of just very mellow. And then Sala had a little bit of a tick. And I think Henry Jones might be the most interesting character in the series in terms of personality, because most of these people don't have personality. And I really liked Sean Connery's portrayal. And Ian Glenn kind of fits the Indiana Jones mold, where I think that he's very... He doesn't tick the meter for me. He stays very level. You know what I mean? So I, I felt like he might be a little bit more bland than uh, Sean Connery. Not that he's a bad pick. I just, you know, I guess I was looking for a little bit more personality. Yeah, I think what was most interesting about uh, in Indiana Jones's father was the fact that it kind of peels back a layer or gives us a peek back at what kind of shaped Indy and what got him so interested in things. And so... Uh, obviously tough to match, you know, everything that Sean Connery provided in, in the original there. Uh, but I just, I think between, you know, Scottish and, you know, medieval history, I was trying to find somebody that, that would fit the bill there. And I think I provided someone that is going to get our fans at least, you know, thinking about it because he's most known for his, his Game of Thrones stuff. All right. And with me, when I looked at the formula, obviously Sean Connery was James Bond. He was in The Untouchables. And I think of like a curmudgeon old man, archaeologist. He, uh, he's got a can-do attitude. He can do action. He's got the occasional quip. And so I said, well, if James Bond worked once, why wouldn't he work again? And I went with Daniel Craig as Dr. Henry Jones. He's 53 now. He'll be 61 when this movie comes out. Obviously, James Bond most recently, Knives Out, a Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Tomb Raider. So he, uh, he was also in Tomb Raider with Ian Glenn, which is kind of funny. Yeah, Daniel Craig to me, I just I went with the James Bond formula. I think that he would be a really interesting pick to play Indy's dad. Yeah, a lot of Tomb Raider and Resident Evil uh, touches here on this episode. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was really cute the uh, Indiana Jones tie-in you made there, or the uh, James Bond tie-in there. I smiled as soon as I saw Daniel Craig come across. I knew it was the 007 uh, comparisons there. Um, I think that he's. Uh, Definitely going to be a, a bit more fit um, than Sean Connery was at that age, um, but uh, still going to be a, a dashing gent um, that you can believe has you know a wealth of knowledge in you know a certain category. And I think that you know a, a, as a British guy, he'll be able to certainly present himself as you know an old wise historian. So I have zero issues with Daniel Craig. I really like the pick, and I I just liked the nod from 007 from one to the other. Nice. And that gets us into our lead role, Indiana Jones, originally played by Harrison Ford. Let them bring me to your holy mountain in the place where you dwell, across the desert and through the mountain, to the canyon of the crescent moon, to the temple where the cup that... where the cup that holds the blood of Jesus Christ resides forever. He was 39 years old when he did the first film, 42 in the second, and 47 when he did Last Crusade and did all of his own stunts in The Last Crusade, which is crazy because there's actually a scene where he jumps from a horse to a tank and no stuntman, like at 47. Good for you. 
So obviously prior to this, you know, Star Wars, he was Han Solo. I mean, at this point, but he was an American graffiti apocalypse now. By the time he does Indiana Jones, he's a big star. And by the time he does The Last Crusade, he's a mega star. I mean, they wanted him for Die Hard originally. I, I was looking for somebody who's rough and tough, sarcastically funny. So I talked about humor. So Indy's humor isn't like crack a joke. You know, I'm going to make something funny happen. It's a subtlety. Like in The Last Crusade, there's the scene where they're in the catacombs and they see the picture and he goes, it's the Ark of the Covenant. And Elsa goes, are you sure? And he just shakes his head. He goes, pretty sure. <laughs> and that's the funniness. It's just like very, very, very subtle. And even the no ticket line, he's like a curmudgeon. No ticket. You know, he doesn't have like a jokey attitude. He's a handsome teacher and he can do action. So I went with Chris Evans, who is going to be 40, 43 and 48 so very similar in age. He obviously Scott Pilgrim versus the world knives out. So we got that connection with uh, Daniel Craig defending Jacob. And of course, he's Captain America. Like everybody knows this guy's Captain America. So he's got the action background. He's very handsome. I think he would pull this off great. And I needed a big star for the cover. I have never won with this argument when I brought it up on Twitter. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and continue to mention it. I just think that he's too big, especially if I'm coming with the same frame of mind that the original you know director and producer had i mean harrison ford at the time had been han solo like just barely twice other than that wasn't really huge on anybody's radar and you were picking captain effing america he's about to be buzz lightyear i mean could you pick a guy that's going to be two market with two more recognizable characters for american audiences um i, I just it's such a huge name um i mean People are going to love it. I mean, he's a good fit. He's a good-looking guy. I don't know if he's, you know, gruff um, and vanilla enough, um, but I can definitely see the comparisons between the subtle humor with, like, the language and, you know, stuff like that. I, I can definitely see a, a good fit. Um, I'm just going to kind of gripe on the fact that he's such a huge name that I wasn't – I personally wasn't going for somebody that was a, a, a huge name and an A-plus star – I was looking for somebody more in line with, you know, the trajectory that Harrison Ford was on. Um, and so that's why I went with somebody in Scott Eastwood here who his son, his dad, obviously a, a megastar and, you know, a, a lifetime achievement award guy. Um, but I think, you know, like like his father, he brings more of a, a macho vibe, uh, someone who has been in Suicide Squad. He's been in Fast and Furious. Um, he definitely has, you know, drama and action in his, his repertoire. Um, and I think he's got a, a very good look to him too. I think in stills that I've seen, he kind of reminds me of Harrison Ford, um, in his, his early days, his Indiana Jones days. So yeah, Scott Eastwood, you know, Clint's son is going to go ahead and be my Indiana Jones here. And I think that, you know, I, I definitely like his look. Um, and I like that he's not an A plus star, but someone who is, is recognizable, um, probably most recognizable from his last name, but he's recognizable enough and and gotten his feelers in in all kinds of genres. And I think he could provide us a very good three movies as Indiana Jones. And he'll be 36, 39, and 44. So if you wanted to do the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, you could. He'd still be young enough. Like you said, a lot of drama, a lot of action. He comes from an action family. You know, looking over his resume with Pacific Rim and Fury and Wrath of Man... And thinking of these roles, I think the one thing that was missing, aside from obviously the star power, because I, I still maintain that Harrison Ford, at the time he did Indiana Jones, was one of the top five biggest stars in Hollywood at the time. 
because uh, this is pre-Tom Cruise Top Gun. And, you know, Scott Eastwood obviously is lacking a little bit of the star power, but more so I'm, I'm curious about, you know, can he do the the charming, like the sarcastic kind of funny because Indy's a very charming guy. They definitely both have like that Marlboro Man kind of look with the roughage and stuff. But I mean, right. could, could he could he do like the the kind of the funny sarcastic stuff? I think he could. Um, you know, have I seen it on camera yet? Uh, I haven't. But you know, I think he's got you know quite the resume. I think you know just based on you know who he's grown up around. I think he could certainly you know give us a very good representation of what we need to see from Indiana Jones. And I don't know. I don't think he's as charming as you know some of the other hunks back then you know he's no burt reynolds now what do you think about so i know we didn't touch on it when we first started but harrison ford was actually recast into this role when tom Selleck, who was the original pick couldn't get out of his contract with magnum pi and so he had to go back to that and they wouldn't let him finish filming and so harrison ford because he knew george lucas had been doing like reading the scripts with other actors and so he knew all the lines and he'd already played han solo obviously indy's kind of a han solo type character so right. it was a nice smooth transition but what do you think about tom Selleck as indiana jones i don't think i would have liked it you know i mean not that i you know love you know seeing the movies now for the first time but i think overall i think harrison had a better look i think Selleck is just I don't know. I, maybe, um, maybe I'd have to look at you know his look more, but uh, I just think he's too big, too bulky. The stash probably would have been distracting. Okay, I, I was looking at some of the footage that they originally shot with it, and I thought you know Tom Selleck has a very similar nature. Like he's very calm and chill, sarcastic, funny, not really over the top, jokey, funny, and he's a ladies' man. I mean, as much as. You know, maybe you or I might not be into the big patch on the chest, you know, and the, the mustache and stuff. I mean, the ladies love Tom Selleck. Oh, I mean, he definitely uh, he definitely helps me um, with my confidence as far as the old uh, the, the chest fro, because, uh, you know, I certainly have some chest lettuce going on. So being able to flash that um, and, you know, tell people I'm, I'm giving them a little bit of Selleck, that helps out. But, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm as familiar with Magnum P.I. or really his, his acting um, as a whole, to really get, give too deep of a, a, I guess, a response on, on how he'd be as Indiana Jones. I just kind of pictured, you know, maybe too good looking of a guy. Um, and uh, what I was presented in those three movies, I didn't have anybody that was like, oh man, the ladies re really are swooning over him, or they should be. All right. And did you have anybody that was almost? Uh, I mean, only one, and it was really just going to be, you know, for, for my British fanboys. Um, and it was, uh, you know, Brody, I was going to have Simon Pegg there, um, just because I know that he's really been a, uh, a long time, you know, British guy starting out um, in some more indie projects and now getting to the point now where he's actually writing some of the Mission Impossible movies. And so he's really grown in stardom and um, had a bit of a cult following. And so I thought maybe someone who has aged and um, would carry uh some weight there as you know a, an older confidant to indiana jones but i don't know if he had the look so that's why i ended up going with martin freeman but honestly didn't have a, a lot of almost here I, you know once i i thought i had a, a good fit just reading up on the character and then watching how they how the, it played out i think i had a good list here all right yeah and that's i didn't really have anyone either i didn't think about it for a second when we were just talking i was like man could tom Selleck have been chris evans dad here as henry jones and then I was like, no, nah, I, I think he's a little too jokey to be Henry. Yeah, what has he been in a, as an older gent? Well, in Blue Bloods. Oh, yeah, no, I was staying within the cop realm, yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, so that's our cast, or our casts, because we did all three movies. We did the age jumps. Hopefully you guys give it a listen and not just see the the side-by-sides, because you really got to imagine these people at an older age. It would have been cool if I could have like aged them for their pictures when I put the picture up. Yeah, um, aren't you better at Photoshop? <laughs> Why am I not an expert at that? Um, but no, so hopefully we'll get those uh, up and people will vote, but hopefully everyone listens as well. Like I said, 63 downloads for Ocean's Eleven, 110 or something like that and counting for Die Hard. I'd love to hit 100 with this one. Oh, yeah. Well, I think with you know just the, the name alone, Indiana Jones, you're going to have a lot of eyeballs, a lot of listens, and looking forward to seeing what the fans think of it. Uh, I know you're going to pretty it up and add in some some audio clips. Uh, hopefully we hear the, whoosh, the whip noise, um, but uh, very much looking forward to hearing the final product and seeing what fans think of our choices. Yeah, me too. And again, if you guys have any questions, hit us up on social media at Twitter or on Twitter at Recast the Podcast. Join the Facebook group, All Things Movies. Everyone's welcome. You can interact not only with us, but with our special shout out podcast. You can interact with Mark from When Harry Met Movies, uh, Kyle. You can interact with a lot of people. And now we're starting to expand this universe with sequel pitch. And if you've got a podcast and you want to get in this universe, it's a movie podcast because in order to be part of the universe, it's got to be a movie podcast. Sorry, guys. If you have a sports podcast, I probably would like it, but you can't be part of the universe. Yeah, stick to movies, folks. And that's about it. So I appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, Jesse, any final thoughts? Uh, no. Um, looking forward to, like I mentioned, you know, hearing the final product. And uh, I'm going to let you pretty it up as soon as you can, Wayne. So uh, thanks for being patient with me and, uh, you know, my whole equipment set up here. And uh, thanks for being patient with us fans. Hopefully you enjoy this episode. All right. Have a great day, everybody. I'm a bit of the, I'm a bit, and that's all, folks. <laughs>